Hello, my name is Sarah Sloan, and you're listening to The Sarah Sloan Show. Oh my gosh. I think I have a coffee addiction. I can't stop drinking it, and it's so delicious. But apparently the more caffeine you consume, the more you sweat. So that's not good for anybody around me. Some people are like, why don't you like to hug? Why don't you like to hug me? I don't like to hug you because I don't want you to feel the sweat on my armpits and to smell my BO. Deodorant does help. And I'm very grateful for deodorant. All right, let's get to the news. You knew that was coming. (laughs) So, the war in Ukraine. It's been happening for a while. Russia, Putin, all that kind of stuff. How's it going, though? Because it started, you know, earlier this year. And now it's August. So, that's been months. There, You know, I think a lot of people are not 100% sure who's really winning. Because there's just a lot of factors at play. But I really like the way that, uh, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I really like the way that the New York Times was laying it out in uh, one of their one of their uh, newsletters, because they go pretty deep on these newsletters, surprisingly. Uh, So one thing that they they heard from a correspondent uh, is that the Ukrainians are doing well, and the Russians are measuring progress in feet, not even miles at this point. So basically, it's, like recently, it's going better for Ukraine. And then there was a Moscow bureau chief from the Times, and they were, uh, they were saying, the Russians appeared to have lost some of the momentum they had earlier in the summer. If you look closely, you see the Ukrainians gaining a bit of momentum, even though not that much is changing on the map. Then there are kind of three uh, scenarios that were described that are you know, just likely outcomes of this war. So I'm going to go through each one because I thought it was laid out very well. Okay, so the first one is that Russia would begin to win. And they detail that Russia would continue to take over more of eastern Ukraine and ultimately control all of the Donbass region. And then this progress will break Ukrainians' will to fight elsewhere and weaken support for the war in Western Europe and the U.S. So that's one outcome. Then the next is that the war would fall into a stalemate. And that's what they're saying is like the most likely outcome. And that Russia would dominate the East, but it just wouldn't be able to go much further. So it'd just kind of be this like awkward uh, pause. What's happening? Kind of like what it's been right now, honestly. And then the third option is Ukraine would begin to win. And Ukraine would halt Russia's advance in the East and succeed in launching counterattacks, potentially reclaiming some territory in the south, where Russia has also taken over some cities. So basically, you know, it's not, like, this is interesting, but it's not, like, super, super complex. Russia wins, or Ukraine wins, or a stalemate. Okay, you know. That's really always the options in war. (laughs) War is war is war. Um... And I'm going to repeat myself with a lot of things I say today. So, there's a lot of interesting things happening as well. Uh, They were basically saying that Russia was 
kind of starting to make progress, taking over that Donbass region uh, that we were talking about before, but then the progress was slowing, and right now Russia only controls Luhansk. I'm probably not even saying it right, but yeah, but not all of a certain region. And it's really not even that much. It, like, if you look at the map, it's, gosh, it's probably like 120th of Ukraine. So this really isn't going super, super well for them. Uh, and then the U.S. official said, Russia has made little to no inroads in the Dontesk province, and the U.S. officials don't think they'll take it this year. This year. So this is just going on and on and on, uh, if we really think about that. And then think about this. Uh, Russia really hasn't made much progress, but they've had a lot of cost. They've had about 20,000 troop deaths, 20,000 people. And then another 50,000 injuries estimated. It's hard to know the exact numbers because this is changing from day to day. Just for a little bit of progress, just for about like probably like a 20th of the, of the region. So pretty sad. And uh, then a military expert said the Russians probably don't have enough effective combat forces to take Dantesk. which is insane. Um, okay, so then, uh, for the next part, the reason that Ukraine has been able to do pretty well, even though you look at the size of Russia, you look at the size of Ukraine, of course, it's not always about size, but still, um, you know, Russia is a force that you would have thought would need to be reckoned with. Uh, yeah, so they have received, Ukraine has received a lot of weapons from the US, from the EU, from other allies, and they have these really... Um, kind of powerful truck-mounted rocket launchers. You know, I may have to buy one of these. They're known as HIMARS. And they have satellite-guided missiles, and they could travel, like, about 50 miles. I don't... I can't... I can't even imagine. Like, that. that's insane to think about. And so the U.S. has sent about 16 of these, and it's been very, very effective. And they've been able to strike more deeply into the Russian territory and um also uh they've been targeting an area called kershon or kerson i'm sorry if i'm saying it wrong all the russians listening to this podcast i know i'm offending you right now ukrainians i know you might be liking what i'm saying but you don't like how i'm saying it because i'm not saying it very well i'm sorry to both sides god loves you all right and yeah, basically, uh, they targeted that Kherson area, and it's a southern Ukraine area that Russia is controlling. And then Ukraine is, you know, hopefully gearing up for a counterattack. And then they also had, uh, they sabotaged Crimea, which that was an area that, you know, Vladimir Putin had kind of uh, basically attached to Russia in 2014, annexed uh, Crimea. And uh, also... The other interesting thing is that uh, basically Putin, he's really been able to keep control of his country because, you know, usually in a war, some people start to quite uh, question their leaders, but he's like in complete control. You even hear a lot of these things of, oh, he has cancer right now. He's not doing well. You hear all that kind of stuff. And it just doesn't really seem to be the case. Um He's doing very well as far as leadership goes. And 
he hasn't even had to rely on uh, on a draft, even though there's been so many deaths. So, um, and they're even going to start, where was it? They're going to start getting some of the prisoners from Ukraine and they're going to do uh, show trials. So that, that kind of, you know, will usually kind of make people feel, oh, this is working. This is actually, we're, we're winning. So that's pretty much where it's at right now. Hopefully you found that interesting. This war is so complicated and difficult for me to understand. That was the first article that kind of was making sense. So hopefully it made sense for you too. All right, let's go to the next story. Um, Governor Abbott, he is, he's been shipping people over uh, to New York and uh, to Washington, D.C., illegal immigrants. And at first I was very frustrated by that because I thought to myself, well, okay, we think that it's a problem that illegal immigrants are, you know, coming into our country. So let's just take them further into the country. Free transportation. That makes a lot of sense. That bothered me. Then there's another way of thinking about it too, which is kind of where I'm leaning right now. I, I really, I am, I try to be very open-minded and my mind can be changed about things all the time. Um, so hopefully that gives men out there some single men hope uh, if they want to win my heart. Uh, it is good in some ways, I think, that he is sending people over there because the uh, governor of New York, he's been complaining about too many people. They're, they're just being ambushed. And it is nice and somewhat refreshing for these areas to finally see what it feels like in Texas because we just have rampant illegal immigration. And they say to us, you guys are being so harsh, so mean. Uh, these people are trying to flee from their terrible countries. And we certainly understand that, but it is also really affecting our country in uh, many negative ways. Uh, it is, you know, two wrongs don't make it right. Illegal immigration is wrong. The reason they're having trouble uh, and they're wanting to illegally immigrate is because our uh, legal immigration system is too slow and probably does need some updating. And I could definitely agree with that. But just because it isn't a great system doesn't mean you get to break our laws and come into our country. Like imagine, imagine, I, I always think of uh, a college sorority home and only the girls that pay to be in the sorority should be in that home. And then I decide one day, well, I'm just going to come in and I'm going to live there. And they're like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to come into the sorority? Well, I just, I want to. Okay. And honestly, you guys have a pretty difficult process of getting into the sorority. And it also costs a lot of money. And you only let so many people in. So I need to come in. And also, here's another thing. It's dangerous where I live right now. In fact, you know, like I'm homeless, actually. So do you want me to die? Do you want me to die out in the street? Is that what you want? Let me into the sorority home and I'm going to live there. Okay. And I'm just living in there. And then I bring some of my friends and then they're also living in there. And these girls in the sorority home are just like, what the heck? We pay for this. We pay for this home. And also they're not following our rules. We have weird rules that, you know, sorority girls have to follow. And then they're eating our food and they're doing all this stuff. But then we even decide, okay, well, you know what? It seems like you guys don't really like to clean your bathrooms. So we're going to help out. And we're going to clean the bathrooms. 
uh, we're doing the jobs you don't want to do. And then they're like, okay, that is kind of nice that you are doing the jobs that we don't want to do. But at the same time, get out of our home. Oh my gosh, this is so harmful that you're telling me to get out of your sorority home. I could die out, uh, out there. Like that's, that's where, that's the logical conclusion of this. And for whatever reason, it makes more sense, I think, with the example of thinking of a sorority home, but it doesn't make as much sense when you're thinking of our country. So that's why whenever Trump mentioned the wall and was talking about it, we were really all for it. We really liked the idea of it because it, it, it's just one way to protect. Okay, so I'm going to play um, Governor Abbott answering some questions about this whole situation. We're a city. Uh, Mayor Adams said hmm. that they welcome in uh, illegal immigrants. Uh, and now once they have to deal with the reality. Yeah, sorry. He was basically he was just saying that in New York City. Um, well, sorry, in New, yeah, yeah, New York City. Sorry. They declared it a sanctuary city where they welcome in illegal immigrants and they're not going to push them out or anything like that. It's a safe place for them. So now he's complaining about all the amount of illegal immigrants coming into the country. So that is what Governor Abbott, the Texas governor, is really, you know, trying to show. The hypocrisy is rampant. reality of it, uh, they're suddenly uh, flummoxed uh, and they cannot handle it. They are now getting a taste of what we're having to deal with. Harris, one of the most important things that our fellow Americans can do is to realize for themselves the, the challenges that Texas is dealing with every day. Yes. Only when they see that uh, will the Biden administration begin to have to realize the Biden administration is going to have to finally start enforcing uh, the laws passed by Congress that secure the border. You have not bent in the wind. And, and there has been quite a headwind in all of this as, as the buses arrive in these different cities. But they weren't watching before. And you know the White House wasn't watching before. And you have gotten people's attention. Talk to me about withstanding all of this, because you say you're not going to stop. Well, listen, the, the, the reason why we will continue to do it is because of what's happening on our border, and that is the, the Border Patrol processes the paperwork for these illegal immigrants, and then they dump them off and Texas communities uh, that are a tiny fraction the size of New York and Washington, D.C. We're talking about communities of about 25,000 people. They cannot handle the overwhelming number of illegal immigrants coming across the border. Mm -hmm. One way of assisting them in dealing with this chaos in their own communities uh, is by removing those illegal immigrants to Washington, D.C. or New York. I have to add to make sure that you and your audience knows mm -hmm. that's not our only strategy. We're using the National Guard to return back illegal immigrants who are trying to come across the border. And the Texas Department of Public Safety is arresting illegal immigrants who do make it into the state of Texas and returning them to the border or arresting them for trespassing. So we have multiple strategies that we're using. The busing to places like New York and D.C. is just one of those strategies. Yeah. And, and uh, you know. Yeah. And he's also been a terrible, terrible governor on this whole situation. So. It's hard for me to believe half of what he says, and I really don't like him. But, of course, I'm going to vote for him over uh, Beto any day. And one thing he had even mentioned earlier in this uh, interview, which I didn't play that part, is that he just received, Beto received a, a million-dollar donation from George Sor Soros. So if you're taking money from the hand of Soros, uh, yeah, probably you're not a good choice. So really, anybody is better than that. Seriously, anybody. Even me. Because I'm running for governor. I didn't announce that but I decided I am just now. Uh, but he, yeah, Governor Abbott 
he could have handled a lot of this. He could have made improvements a long time ago, and he has not wanted to. Versus, on the other hand, uh, a governor candidate for Arizona, Carrie Lake, who is currently doing very well, um, she is extremely serious about handling this crisis, and she's actually wanting to, in at least where she can, work on the wall and improve the wall. So he could have been doing this as well. And, you know, I don't think anybody, well, sorry, a lot of us would not mind uh, taxpayer dollars going towards that versus where they usually go to stupid stuff. So I, yeah, I, I am, I think that there are, there's some good out of him shipping immigrants to these cities for them to finally realize what it's like. And then maybe some, some solutions can come of this. Uh, of course it, the problem just needs to stop in general and there are ways for it to be significantly decreased and, Abbott knows what to do, but he doesn't want to do it half the time. So I'm mixed. I'm mixed on the whole thing. Let's go to the verse. Psalm 33, verse four. For the word of the Lord is right. And all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Sometimes you just got to say what's true. And you just got to plain Jane say it. And... That is really what this, these verses are doing. Uh, for the word of the Lord is right. It's not wrong. It's right. Okay, got it. Because a lot of people are going to come up to you and they're going to say, do this, do that. Um, and, and what they're saying is totally against what the Bible preaches. And it's so tempting to just want to do it. And half the time I do. And so, yeah, I repent of that, you know, because it's not right. Uh, then, is God's work done in lies? No, they're not done in lies. His work is done in truth. He is not a liar like we can oftentimes be. He loves righteousness and justice, not evil and injustice. He loves what is good. And of course, we could try to twist those words and say social justice is the form of justice. And that's now what God loves. So Jesus was really just a social justice warrior. No, you're wrong again. And then the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Huh? The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Well, I thought that the earth was just full of evil and disgusting and nasty people and situations and everything else. Well, that's not what the Bible's saying. I'm not saying that the earth is heaven, but it does say right here, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. So, and can we play a part in that? Yes, I think so. The Bible is good and so is God. Um, okay, really quick. I wanted to talk about this one movie that I watched in the theaters, like probably a few weeks ago. It's called Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. It rhymes, if you couldn't tell. And kind of what the movie is about, just to quickly explain it. Um, and I'm sorry if I say any spoilers, but also you had time to watch it. And honestly, you're probably not even going to watch it. So now that I said that, and I'm going to explain what it is. Um, this movie is about kind of a poor woman that cleans houses in, um, in Europe and she, I think the UK, I'm just not sure. Uh, she just falls in love with this Dior dress, uh, in a house that she cleans and she is just so inspired to buy her own. And these dresses are very, very expensive. So I think they're kind of saying that it's about 500 um, in the movie, but this is also, this movie takes place like a bit ago. And I actually saw, um, in kind of like a trivia about the movie 
So I don't know if it's true, but if you adjust for inflation, probably the the dress would cost about like ten to twelve thousand dollars. So like you could technically buy a car with that amount of money. So for a cleaning lady to be able to just like buy this dress while also supporting herself to live and eat and all that, you know, that that is a big deal. And then she makes her way over to Paris and they don't even want to let her in for the fittings because if you're going to such a bougie place like Dior, they don't just, you don't just go and pick a dress off a rack and say, okay, this is it. This is one I want to buy. No, there's like literally models walking through and all these rich people are watching and they're writing down notes of, I want this dress or this dress. And then uh, they, yeah, they give the dresses numbers and then they're like, can you give me the seven or can you give me the 12? Um, and then you have to do a whole fitting because just because that dress looked good on that model, it doesn't mean it'll just look good on you or even fit you. You have to really do the fitting and get it tailored and it could take months. Uh, so it's a extremely arduous process, but it was, it was a good movie. They give you a lot of like heart behind the story. You get to see, um, you know, things in the world that you normally wouldn't have seen. Like, I didn't know that that was the process of how you purchase those dresses. And then this lady like literally gets to buy this dress. It's amazing. And then she's there. And of course they're kind of ashamed that this uh, poor cleaning lady is getting this dress, but then some people are falling in love with her, just her personality and her spirit and everything else. So it, it, it was, it's a, it's a good heartfelt movie. Um, you know, they even focus on one model in particular who, uh, really gets close to Miss Harris, Mrs. Harris. And I didn't mention Mrs. Harris is a, a widow, so she doesn't have a husband at home. Uh, and yeah, she gets closer to this model. And then Mrs. Harris is also getting closer to the accountant for Dior. And it's obviously accountant is in love with the model and the, yeah. So that's a cool little like love process. Probably the, like, I think a lot of the there were a lot, a lot of moral lessons in it that were actually relatively okay. Um, you know, like one is in the end, she, um, she has a dress and she is dancing with this man and, um, he doesn't say you are beautiful because of the dress. The dress allows him to see her beauty and just who she is. She was, she's just a wonderful person and she was always a wonderful person. And sometimes you can give yourself something like your heart's content, your goal, your desire, and you work so hard for something that it really shows your true potential finally in a way that your little like apron was not going to show. So that's one, one lesson that was really good. And then she was a person that just gave too much. She gave too, too much. And she allowed people to beat down on her. The place where she, the, the, the place where she cleaned, where she even saw that Dior dress the lady was obviously wealthy and refused to pay her for months and months on end, but she had the money to buy this dress. You know, it's just like, and she continued to go and go and not get paid for her job. So she gave too much and she ended up getting burnt out and ended up being abused. And I think in the end she learned, I can't be that way anymore. She walks out of that place and no longer cleans there. Uh, and the lady's so shocked. What, what are you doing? Well, I'm not going to hire you back. Well, who gives a flip? You weren't going to pay me anyway. Um, and then the, the model ends up with the accountant. So that was cool. But then that was one of probably the stupidest parts. She's this like beautiful lady. And then they show, they show her and she's basically like, she, they try to be super intellectual. They read all these books and that's part of what made them fall in love with each other. Even though she's a model, she has a brain. Um, 
but not in this sense. They saw her talking with these people at a coffee shop. And then he picks her up from work on a motorcycle and then they drive away. Okay. So that was the life that she really wanted. Like she was a model. She was sick of being a model and all that. And she wants to just like discuss higher intellectual things at coffee shops while your husband works. Like, I don't know. It just felt so cheap and stupid. And also why I was so invested in this movie, I don't know. But yeah, ex existential philosophy, <sighs> which those people who waste their time talking about all that stuff, it just gets really, really old. But but it was a good movie. It was relatively clean. So I would say probably like there was one scene that was a little inappropriate, um, you know, basically a, a burlesque show. Um, it wasn't the worst thing in the world, but it wasn't great. So like probably young kids shouldn't watch it. But I think otherwise, like if you're 13 and older, it's fair game. It, it's not too bad. There's not like sex scenes or anything like that. Um, a good movie overall. I just feel like I haven't really heard anybody talk about it. I think it is worth a watch. So if you ever see it and it's like $5 DVD Walmart, then hit it up because it, it probably is worth going for. Uh, but I thank you guys so much for listening to the show and listening to me ramble about this movie that you're probably not going to watch anyway. Um, thank you for even giving your time and just know that uh, you don't need a dress. And I'm talking to you men. You don't need a dress to feel beautiful. You already are. All right. Have a great day.